0: We're going to start in Romans chapter one here in just a second. So if you didn't, uh, if you didn't already open up to the passage that Antonio just read for us, please go and open up to Romans chapter one. The Apostle Paul was uh, a really fascinating character, not just to those of us who love Jesus and are followers of Jesus, but really to all people throughout uh, world history at this point. And, And we've been spending a lot of time with Paul as we've been reading through his letters. We've been studying the book of First Corinthians, which is a very personal letter just this past month. We've been reading through second Corinthians and um, as Mark actually read a section where Paul spoke about himself. I don't know. He doesn't ever say, but I just imagine he was kind of a little guy and not very handsome and not very impressive to people in the ways that people uh, think in worldly terms. We know whenever he talked, people weren't too impressed with him because people would say, yeah, his letters are fine, but not much to listen to that guy. But as Antonio said, he was special because he gave himself. He truly did what we just sang that we all want to do as well. He surrendered all to Jesus. So that's why he would write to the Corinthians and say, imitate me. Not because I'm the man, but because I'm trying to imitate Christ here. And I want you to learn about Christ. I'm trying to live a life that would demonstrate to you the character and the spirit of Christ so that you can know him. And as we read through these letters, which are part doctrinal treatise, part ethical instructions, but a lot of it is a man who loved God desperately and had been given a special mission by his Lord and Savior and was trying to fulfill it. As we read through his letters, we learn so much about him. That's especially true in what we read this past month in uh, 2 Corinthians, where Paul details the sufferings he goes through and the passion that he has and the devotion he has to Christ, to God's people, to proclaiming the gospel to all those who are outside of Christ. That's what he's all about. That's what his life was all about. And you see that. Uh, you remember earlier this year we read through the book of Acts, where we really chronicled a lot of Paul's travels. Everything about it—what it would have been like to be one of Paul's friends. Uh, you just always be going and doing something. Always, you know. I bet if you ever ate, you weren't ever sitting down. Paul was all about drive-through because he had somewhere to go to the next place. You know. Um, anytime you're sitting around having fun, Paul's wanting to talk about something serious. He was saying, don't get me wrong, I think it's pretty clear, Paul broke bread. Paul sat around with his brethren, laughed, and enjoyed time. But the portrayal of him in the scriptures is a man who was just tenacious, by the way, much like Jesus. Sure, we see Jesus at dinner parties, but Jesus was a tough dinner guest because as quick as he could, he was going to start preaching to you. Even whenever you were just like, hey, Jesus, we just came to hang out and eat together. So what was it that drove Paul in that way? Do you guys know people like that? I mean, even outside of Christ, who are always going. They're always doing. They've always got somewhere to be and something to say and something to do. They've always got something going on. What's going on with those people? More often than not, those people are people with a mission. Uh, I remember in college, like a couple of friends of mine who were like that. Some of us were like, hey, we're just here to get good enough grades and hang out on the weekend and, do whatever, and that's it. But some of y'all are acting crazy. You're starting clubs and you're writing extra essays and you always want to talk to the professor. When you make a 93, you got to go talk to him about that seven points that you missed. Move it, keep it moving. You just missed seven points, fine. Those people were people on some kind of mission. Maybe it was to provide some sort of humanitarian help or they really wanted to have the best grades because they wanted to be able to go to the best school so they could go on to do whatever the career was. They were on a mission. What was Paul's mission? Maybe if we said it this way, if we asked Paul, hey, Paul, what is the mission? What's the thing that's driving you forward every day and all the sacrifices you make and all the suffering that you're going through and all the words that you speak and all the relationship? What's the mission that's driving everything about you and who you are? We actually learn about it here in Romans chapter one. Did you, did you pay attention to the passage that Antonio read for us and what Paul's actually talking about. You know, a lot of times people go to Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17 and point to this verse rightly, I will say as a thesis for the doctrine that's taught in the book of Romans. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And that's really what this, a lot of people say, that's what this whole book is about. Uh, Paul is going to go on to explain people are sinners, lost in their sin and dead apart from God. But God saves. God justifies those who have faith like Abraham or like David, ultimately like Jesus, really. And don't continue on following after Adam, but actually follow after Jesus and find salvation and restoration and reconciliation with God. And that's what the book is about. And so Romans 1, verse 16 and 17 is sort of a, a thesis statement for a doctrinal essay that's the way romans 1 16 and 17 uh reads a lot of times but i want to and while all that is mostly true i'd like to tweak it a little bit and look at it again look at the very first word of verse 16 actually you could say the first um four words of verse 16. he says "For, for i am not ashamed of the gospel uh, so here's here's my point if this is just a thesis about some doctrine then Paul, I think, would have just said this. The gospel is the power of salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew. Skip those first few words of the sentence in verse 16. But he doesn't do that. He says, for I am not ashamed. Why are you saying it like that, Paul? Well, back it up a little bit and see why he says for, or maybe because he's answering something with verses 16 and 17. Um, Back it all the way up to verse one. As was mentioned earlier, Paul describes himself as a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This whole section, by the way, is about the gospel. It begins and ends in referring to the gospel. He says, uh, this is what I was set apart to do and to be. Verse five, he says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations for his name's sake. I'm here to try to make everybody to be obediently loyal to Christ. That's what the whole deal is all about. And then uh, in verse 8, he speaks about their faith that's being proclaimed, these Roman saints who are there, uh, whom he had not actually been to meet before. Verse 9, he says, For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. When Paul thought about these Romans, he's praying for them, he's thankful for them. And he said that he wanted to see them, verse 11, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. By the way, what spiritual gift, Paul? There's going to be tongues, going to be healings, going to be prophecy. What spiritual gift are you going to give us? Well, look at what he says. He says, that is, verse 12, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you. You know what the spiritual gift that Paul was going to give them and that he actually wanted them to give him too? Encouragement. Encouragement in what? Why is Paul wanting this encouragement? Why does he want to impart that to them and share that with them? Keep on reading. He says uh, in verse 12, uh, 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far. Well, Why do you want to go to Rome, Paul? Is it the theater? Is it the museums? Is it the politics? What's taking you to Rome? Listen to what he says. So that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. What fruit are we talking about, Paul? Why do you want to go to Rome and encourage these saints and get some kind of fruit out of the deal? What are we talking about? Verse 14, I'm under obligation. Remember, he called himself a servant at the very top. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Why was Paul praying these prayers? Why did he want to come encourage these brethren? Why was he writing this letter? Why was this letter written? Because he wanted to go to preach the gospel to them. Well, Paul, why would you want to come to Rome to preach the gospel? Well, because I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God to salvation. Do you see that? Actually, verses 16 and 17 are a personal mission statement, as much as they're an introduction to a doctrinal essay. You get what I'm saying? Romans chapter 1 shows that the mission that drove Paul every day was to preach the gospel. It wasn't maybe the things that, it, um, we might think of. And I want to make this distinction real quick before we go ahead and look at the rest of what he says. Um, he doesn't say, I've made it my mission to baptize. because you know what? That's kind of out of Paul's hands. That's up to somebody deciding whether they want to be baptized into Christ or not. So that really wasn't his mission. His mission is to preach the gospel. Somebody be baptized into Christ and they hear that for sure. But that wasn't his mission. His mission was. I want to preach the gospel. By the way, if his mission was just to baptize, he could have been handing out cash to get baptisms. He could have just been uh, softening up the gospel to get baptisms. But that wasn't what his mission was. His mission was to preach the gospel. He could have said also, and I know I have said this uh, phrase plenty of times. And I, 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 y'all, y'all t- next time I say it, tell me, Ben, you say you're not supposed to say that. And you can say it if you want to, but I'm going to try not to, I think. Uh, he also doesn't say that I, I'm eager to plant churches in Rome. Now, you might say, well, there's already churches in Rome. That's fair. But here's the deal. If his uh, mission was to plant churches, as, as we may say sometimes, um, why would he go to Rome? There's already brethren there. You know, that wasn't his mission. Actually, he saw that as God's mission. You preach the gospel. People will be saved. God's going to plant some churches. What we plant, what Paul would say that he was there to plant was the gospel. That was his mission. That's what it's all about. And we could go on and on down the line. It wasn't to necessarily uh, promote social change, although for sure when the gospel comes into a society, things change. But that wasn't the mission. You get what I'm saying? And I think this is so important that we hear what Paul has to say. This is my deal. This is what I do. This is what I live, eat, breathe, sleep. Everything is about the mission to preach the gospel. He goes on through this doctrinal argument in the rest of the letter. But look at chapter 10. There's this kind of strange section in chapter 10 where he's arguing about the covenant made to Abraham and Israel and uh, the word of God hasn't failed. I know some of y'all Jews think that it has, but it hasn't. God's been keeping his promises. And he says in chapter 10 and verse one, "Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. And then he goes on talking more about this doctrine of salvation. And then he jumps in in verse 14 with what honestly sounds like a deal where you're saying, wait, Paul, what? Verse 14 He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Speaking about, of course, people are justified by faith in Christ. How will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Paul, could you cool it? Why are you talking about preachers getting sent places? We're talking about how people are saved and stuff. Why are you talking about this? Do you get it? Paul, even when he was talking about the true doctrine of the gospel, he was, he was in his mind and he's just right. He's like, you know, this is so important, guys. We got to get this right because and we got to get people believing in Christ. Well, how are they going to believe unless they hear and how are they going to hear unless there's a preacher and how's going to be a preacher unless they get sent? Because that was the mission. That was the point of the doctrine. The doctrine wasn't just y'all are wrong. I'm right. You need to get it straight. The point of the doctrine was, is this is what it's all about. We're trying to get this message out here For all people to know the salvation of Christ. Now you might say, well, Paul, you were called to be an apostle. And that's kind of a special gig. There's not a lot of apostle spots that Jesus opened up. And that's good. Your mission is the gospel, but I got other missions. I got other things that's kind of my deal. And maybe we as a church, we've got other missions that's our deal. We want to try to help with this need that we see in the world. We We got whatever kind of interest that we're really focused on more. That's our mission. And good for you that your mission is to preach the gospel but I don't know if that's really supposed to be our mission. Go to chapter 15. <clears throat> Someone suggested that the best way to be, read the book of Romans and to get it is to read Romans backwards. I wouldn't advise that on your first read if you haven't read it, but actually if you have read it, I would advise that. Start the last paragraph. I don't know how you read backwards exactly. You got to pick some place to read forwards, but you get what I'm saying, right? <laughs> Point is start at the end of the book and see the stuff Paul's talking about And then start working your way backwards. I want you to listen to why Paul was writing this book. It's not just like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and that's good, and you should know about it. And also, here's the gospel. Let me explain it to you. He had a bigger thing in mind for these brethren that he was writing to in Rome. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 14. Um, We're going to hear his own reflections for himself, but then it's going to shift a little bit. Starting in uh, Romans 15, verse 14. He says, concerning you, my brethren... I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I've written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God. Paul's been very blunt, very direct, really challenged these brethren to make sure they're getting the gospel right because he, this is his mission. He's preaching the gospel. He goes on and says um, that God has given me this to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the nation's ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, so that my offering of the nations may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. By the way, notice the symmetry at the beginning. He talked about he came to preach to bring about the obedience of faith among the nations. Here again in verse 18, he speaks about the obedience of the nations in word and deed. In the power and signs and wonders, in the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. So, Paul once again comes back to this personal mission statement. I'm doing this. And honestly, I'm not even satisfied in preaching places where Christ's been named. I'm always thinking about where's a place where Christ hasn't been named? Where's a place where he needs to be made known? Let me go ahead and preach the gospel in those places. Let me go there. And then you're sitting there in one of the Romans. You're like, Paul, if that was your mission, this letter was a little misplaced. We already know the gospel. We already have heard all that. Why are you writing it to us? Listen to what he goes on and says, verse 22. For this reason, I've often been prevented from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I first enjoyed your company for a while." He then goes on to speak about the mission he was on, the minor mission he was on to collect funds to provide for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Then he comes back to it in verse 28 and he says, after I get done with that, therefore, verse 28, when I finish this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, the brethren loving, taking care of each other, I will go on by way of you to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Do you hear what Paul's plan is? Paul doesn't want to come to Rome because he just has heard great things about the brethren there. He wants Rome to become his new mission base. When you read the book of Acts, Paul's mission base is Antioch. Him and Barnabas would cycle back through there, and then they'd go preach somewhere else. But now Paul, he's looking around, he says, I mean, we've kind of got it covered. Not everybody's believed, not everybody's accepted, but honestly, there's plenty of God's people here. Let me go somewhere else. Let me go somewhere where there's not as much action. And I've heard about Spain, and I don't think there's anybody preaching the gospel out there. So I'm going to go. And I'm going to go through Rome because Antioch is pretty far from Spain. Rome's a lot closer and there's brethren there. And I want them to be strengthened and grounded in their understanding and their life in the gospel so that that can be my new little home base. In other words, what he's saying to the church in Rome is I want y'all to participate in the mission. Y'all need to get some things straightened out about your doctrine. Y'all need to get some things straightened out about your relationships and your lifestyle because we, not just me as an apostle of Christ Jesus, but we as the saints of God have a mission to accomplish and you've got a role to play in that. Can I just tell you, that is the whole purpose of the book of Romans. Now, what Paul talked about was all the doctrines and all the instructions that we all love so much. Probably if we ran around the room, a lot of you and your top five most favorite Bible verses probably come from the book of Romans. Verses that have convicted you and changed you and made you love the Lord more have come from the book of Romans. The whole point of whatever it is you've ever gotten from this great book is to set us on the mission to preach the gospel so that not only Paul, but that we would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I believe and I want everybody to know that it is the power of God of salvation. That's that whole bit in chapter 10. of, Well, how will they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear without a, uh, without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Do you hear what he's saying? Unless they are sent. Who's gonna be sending? You guys, Romans. I want y'all to be in on this and be sending people out. Not just collecting people, oh, Rome is so nice. We love being in Rome and our church in Rome is so nice. No, 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 get them out. Send people out. Get your people ready to go preach the gospel in places where the gospel of Christ has not been named because that is the mission. It's not to gather together. It's not to enjoy each other. That's good stuff. We need that stuff. That's important stuff commanded by God. But all that serves a greater purpose, not just for us, but that all the world may see and know there there is a God in heaven And that his son Jesus reigns over the kingdoms of men and that he's coming back one day and that all will be raised up to a resurrection of judgment, either judgment to righteousness and eternal life or judgment to condemnation and eternal punishment. That's what we're here to do is to proclaim that message and to call all people everywhere to repentance, to come to Jesus, to be saved by his love, to be transformed by the power of his spirit. That's the mission. All right. How do we go about accomplishing that? How do we? How do we go about accomplishing that? And imagine if you were in Rome and you might sit there and ask that question. Okay, Paul, this is a big deal. It's actually exciting. But it's not just you and Peter, Jane, you know, all those guys. It's Every one of God's people We're part of this grand mission to preach the gospel to all peoples here and everywhere. That's gotta be our focus in all things that we do. How do we go about that? Go back to Romans chapter 12. I wanna just highlight a few uh, keys that Paul gives us for how to go about accomplishing the mission. Because here's the deal. We could go interview some people today and say, hey, how do you think we should accomplish the mission? And we could go to some people um, who I heard somebody describe it this weekend and when we were talking about these things. Somebody might say, well, you go to uh, amazon.com and order some tracks and then just start throwing them around everywhere. By the way, not a bad idea. If it's true, if it's true, if it's, it's bogus, don't do those, like burn those. But if it's a true one, go ahead, hand it out. That's good. Um. But I don't that it's interesting. You don't see that necessarily said in, in Scripture that that is the way to accomplish it. That may be something good we could do. We say, well, we have lots of special events and invite people in. Well, I think it's great. I love when we do those. And it's a good opportunity for us to have a forum for people to hear and discuss the gospel. Um, but it's also interesting. That's not one of the keys that Paul gives. Have special events, you know, or have a large meeting space that more people can come together. That's the way to accomplish the mission. By the way, it's good to have a large meeting space where we can all meet, but I'm not sure that's really the way that we're going to accomplish the mission. We could also go to people of the world. And of course, they'd say, well, you need to like have better graphics and uh, you need to have more. uh, You need to have TED talk level speakers. So you need to do some things that honestly we don't have. And I don't think we're supposed to be pursuing either because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. There's something else. Read Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me t- let's start on how we go about accomplishing the mission. Romans 12, 1 and 2. After talking about the gospel, the gospel, by the way, remember, that was not just a doctrinal essay, but a personal mission statement. That's Romans 1 through 11. It's not just a doctrinal essay. It's a personal belief and mission statement that Paul believes all those in Christ should have. Because of that personal mission statement of the gospel means everything to me and to everybody, Paul says in chapter 12, verse 1, therefore... Therefore, if you really believe all this stuff, if you're really not ashamed of the gospel, if it's really your mission to make the gospel known to all nations, therefore, verse 1 of Romans 12, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, or discern what some say, discern what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. All right, key number one, if we want to accomplish the mission, godly self-sacrifice, godly self-sacrifice. How did Jesus proclaim the gospel? He came and he tirelessly served those in need. He uh, offered comfort to those who were hurting. He preached and he spoke. He had conversation with people about what was true. When did Jesus ever sleep? Other than that one time in the boat when the storm happened. When did he ever sleep? You know what I mean? He was always sacrificed. By the way, he slept. But you know what I'm saying. The portrayal of Jesus, he's always sacrificing himself. That's how we're going to accomplish this mission. It's to live a life of self-sacrifice. And not self-sacrifice. what I'm saying, godly self-sacrifice. Not self-sacrifice that makes us feel good about ourselves or makes us look good to other people. Notice what he says. Present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, not to... your your brethren, not to yourself, not to your neighbors, to God. Godly self-sacrifice. How is self-sacrifice going to help us to accomplish the mission of preaching the gospel? Let me give you a couple of thoughts here. Uh, The first thing Paul talks about as far as application of this, he says, you need to consider yourself not your own, but belonging to the body of Christ. You know, whenever you live a life where it's not really about you anymore, you only are thinking about others. You're only thinking about God and his purposes. It's just going to leak out. Whatever your life is all about, it leaks out in your speech, whether it's your family or your work or whatever you're uh, interested in in the world around us. It just leaks out. If your life is devoted to God and God's people and the body of Christ and building that thing, then you're just going to be talking about that all the time. People are going to say, what's wrong with you? You're not self-interested like the rest of us. You're not consumed with how you can get yours. You're always about how you can give. Where does that come from? And then you don't say, "Oh no, I'm not that good." Actually, you really shouldn't. I don't. Don't praise me. No, no. That, that's when you say, "Well, it's because of what the Lord's done. God did that for me, and I'm trying to do that in the world as well." Do you know the Lord? We should talk about it. That's that's how it that works. You know what I'm saying? Godly self sacrifice provides you a platform. Maybe I say it better. Godly self sacrifice is God's platform for putting His message out into the world. Uh, by the way, in the Old Testament, that's how this would work. People would bring their sacrifice to the temple. And imagine being a person of the nations in Jerusalem. And you see this shiny building there on the, on the hill. And there's all these people taking cows. There's some poor people taking just little birds. People are coming with their families. Some people are weeping. Some people are rejoicing. But something's going on there. And everybody's taking it. And you might pull somebody aside and say, hey, hey, what's going on in there? Why are you guys, is there like a livestock show? What are you doing in there? And someone would say, oh, well, well, we're bringing our sacrifices to our God." Why are you doing that? Well, because he's the God who created all things. It all belongs to him anyway. Oh, and somebody else says, well, for me, it was because I needed to have my sins forgiven. I betrayed a vow that I, you know what I'm saying? You would have this platform. God had this platform for putting himself into the world through the sacrifices of his people. Let's keep moving. In Rome, the rest of Romans 12, he talks about uh, love and service. And whenever we love, this is what Jesus said, whenever you're loving and serving in a way that's so radically different from the world, people are gonna take notice, say, what's going on over there? Why are y'all so different in the way you treat each other? Actually, why are you so different when people mistreat you? The end of Romans 12, Paul talks about whenever someone mistreats you, they persecute you. Like Jesus said, turn the other cheek. You're on the job. Somebody lies about you. Somebody cheats you out of that promotion. The boss just, for whatever reason, he's riding you or she's riding you and, and leaving everybody else alone, but always. And you just take it. You're kind, you're respectful, you keep it moving, you do your job. You don't appreciate getting beat up and all that kind of stuff, but you just go ahead and keep it moving. Man, you got to say something. I can't. Why not? Come on. Jesus told me not to. Jesus, what are you talking about? There it is. Now you talk to him about it. You know what I'm saying? The beginning of Romans 13 talks about godly self-sacrifice in terms of not fomenting rebellion or disrespect against the authorities. Do you like this government? No, I don't. I think they're really ungodly, and I don't appreciate a lot of what they're doing. Well, why don't you join the rest of us in this riot or rebellion or this, you know, or just sitting around just talking bad about them? Why don't you join in on us on that? Well, honestly, I don't really consider myself a part of this kingdom anyways. I live here, but this isn't really my deal anyhow. What do you mean you're a Roman? Don't you care about Caesar? Oh, sure. I want justice on the earth for sure. But I already know there's going to be justice done on earth because there's justice being done in heaven and the Lord's coming back one day and he's going to set everything right. That's been wrong. Coming back. Who who's the Lord and when's he coming back? What are you talking about? Well, you get what I'm saying? Whenever we live lives. And by the way, that's not just for the Roman empire. That's for the United States of America and every other place. All right. Whenever we live lives of godly self-sacrifice, it's God's platform to put his message out. If we do that second part, because some of us live godly lives and we're willing to sacrifice. But then once there's a curiosity, either a, we're not paying attention to people being made curious about that. Or when there is a curiosity, we just try to be like, I was a good example. Let me leave now. And that's all I was supposed to do. No, look, you be a good example. And then you say something, you say something, you tell the person why this thing is going on. And by the way, They may not agree with it. They may not appreciate it. They may laugh at you. Okay, your mission wasn't to convince every person of the nations. Your mission is to preach the gospel, to tell them the good news. And then it's up to them, whatever they're going to do about it. Live a life of godly self-sacrifice, preach the gospel, and keep it moving. Let me tell you another key. Look at Romans chapter 14 and verse 1. Romans 14 and verse 1. Paul says in Romans chapter 14 and verse one. Oh, actually, one more thing. I love the, just on this godly self-sacrifice thing. Look at verse 11 of chapter 13. He says, do this knowing the time. Romans 13, 11. Do this knowing the time that it's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. I love this line. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness. And it doesn't say put on the armor of righteousness, though it is righteousness we're putting on. It doesn't say the armor of love or self-sacrifice. Look at the image he uses in verse 12. Put on the armor of light. And it's not just light to drive away the darkness in ourselves. God has called us to be an army of light in this world that would be a beacon of hope for all those who are lost and oppressed under the rule of that evil dictator, the devil. And that we would live lives of godly self-sacrifice as a light to draw people to the kingdom of God. All right, now Romans 14, verse 1. Second key, uh, verse 1 of Romans chapter 14. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Accept the one who is weak in faith, not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Go to chapter 15 and verse 7. Chapter 15 and verse 7 says, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. (laughs) Uh, This section in Romans 14 and 15 is bookended with this instruction to accept one another. Except I don't think the word accept is a very helpful word. Some of you have other words in your translations. I bet you do. Some of you have words like receive instead of accept or welcome instead of accept. Uh, Here's why I don't think acceptance is a particularly helpful word for our vernacular. When we say accept, it means somebody's doing something and it's just a shoulder shrug. Okay, I accept that. Whatever. You know, it's a passive thing. This is not a passive word. And that's why words like welcome or receive are a little better because there's a little more active thing going on here. There's a there's a connectivity. There's this I'm receiving you, you know, like if a wide receiver, some of these, you know, the NFL drafts have one of these wide receivers. They're just standing there and the quarterback throws and it falls off their chest. Say What's wrong with you? You didn't receive the pass. They said, well, I accepted that you threw it. (laughs) <laughs> okay that, that doesn't score anything for us okay so uh, this word actually gets used in another context just to give you a little imagery of this whenever you remember when jesus was revealed to be the christ who do men say that i am peter you're the christ that's right good job blah blah and then peter says i'm gonna die there's a scene right after that you remember this where peter takes jesus to the side and he says lord you can't no the christ doesn't die you you don't understand how it works the christ doesn't die the christ rules all right The word there for where it says Peter pulled him aside, same word here for accept. Of course, in that case, Peter was very obviously not accepting what Jesus said. Do you see the point? It's not just this passive thing where I'm like, man, okay, you're different than me and whatever. I accept it. It's I want to pull. I want to welcome you to talk to you about something. I want us to try to have a little bit of a special connection here. That's actually the idea. All right. So let's just go with uh, welcoming one another, welcoming one another. If we want to accomplish the mission of preaching the gospel, we need to welcome one another. The whole context of Romans 14 and 15 is people who had very serious disagreements about what was most pleasing to God. Actually, what was pleasing to God at all about how to live in Christ. And Paul's instruction to them in Romans 14, 15. I mean, first off, what he does, he says, hey, you guys are wrong. You guys are right. He does that. But then he says, but hey, for y'all who are right, you ain't right. If you don't accept these guys, if you don't receive them, if you don't welcome them, you gotta you gotta receive them in the Lord, even though you've got some pretty serious disagreements about how to live in your life in Christ. Now I want to say this: they were in Christ, they were in Christ, okay. He wasn't saying receive those who are pagans and offering sacrifices to the goddess Athena. That's not what he was saying. He was saying preach the gospel to them, but among us, we've got to learn to welcome one another, to welcome one another, even when there are pretty significant and profound differences. Here's the challenge I want to present to you. I'd like you to think about somebody, if you're a part of this church or whatever church you're part of, I'd like you to think of somebody that you most fully disagree with something, the way they talk about faith in Christ, the way they're living in some manner. I'd like you to think about that. Can you do that? Don't say their name or look at them. Just, (laughs) I literally said that you were looking at Michael. So that was weird. (laughs) It's okay. We'll pray for y'all. Y'all can go ahead and receive each other. All right. Sorry. Um, Okay, you got somebody in your head? All right. I want you to think. Have you welcomed that person? Have you done what Peter did with Jesus? Pulled him aside. Let's talk about this. Let's work on this a little bit. Let's really engage on this situation. Whether it's some personal disagreement, whether it's some moral ethical choice I disagree with you on, whether it's some doctrinal point that I think you're you're not exactly right on. We need to work on this. We need to work on this. And I'm not saying in a broad way. I'm saying us, we need to work on this. Welcoming each other. Actively saying, hey, let's sit down. Let's break some bread. Let's open up our Bibles. Let's pray together. Let's talk. Because um, having people from different backgrounds and different places and different maturities, that is a cool thing. But for the world, diversity is good enough. For us, diversity is not good enough. It's not diversity of backgrounds, maturities, opinions. That's not good enough. It's not good enough for the Lord. It's not good enough for us because that's not going to be a platform for God to preach the gospel. When people are welcoming each other, you say, wait a second, y'all are kind of different. You know, what's the deal there? You guys are all kind of the same deal, different ages, different spiritual backgrounds, different opinions on things, and y'all are all welcoming each other. You really, really are living like family, which means you're honest with each other when you have disagreement. But it also means you're committed to each other, even when you still kind of disagree on some stuff at the end of the day. What's going on over there? Well, honestly, man, look at what he says in chapter 15 and verse 6. Actually, 15.1, he says, We who are strong, that's the language Paul's using in this little disagreement here, We who are strong are to bear the weakness of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Well, why not please yourself? Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good. Well, why are we doing that? To his edification. Why do I care what his edification? For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Verse six continues with the thought, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept, receive, welcome one another, just as Christ also accepted you, to the glory of us, to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a, a servant of the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the nations, the uncircumcised, to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. And again, he said, rejoice, O nations, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you nations, and let all the peoples Praise him. And Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse and he who arises to rule over the nations. In him shall the nations hope. Now may the God of hope fill you, y'all, with all joy and peace and believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to welcome one another so that we can continue doing the mission because there's two problems that'll exist if we don't do this. Probably more, but at least two. One is our mission is gonna always be getting like kind of like standing up, getting my way, getting things fixed in this thing. If we don't figure out stuff and work together, then we're gonna always be focused on what's going on in here and we're forget about what we're supposed to be doing out there with the mission to preach the gospel. And here's another thing. Someone shows up, let's say we keep on with the mission, but we never work on things in here. We don't welcome one another. We don't build a culture where we're really working on things. Honestly, again, not just accepting and pretending like, ah, oh, no big deal, I don't care, but no, really working on this stuff together. Then somebody shows up. They've been newly baptized into Christ. They're trying to grow up in Christ. And they show up to a family where there's these little disjointed things. There's a little coldness. There's a little after you hang around long enough, you feel like, wait a second. Seems like I got to pick if I'm on this team or that team. What's going on? You know what that is? That's devil work. And that's going to kill souls. We cannot do that. We got to welcome one another if we want to preach the gospel, if we want to stay on mission. Here's a third thing. I'm going to say something brief about it, not because it's unimportant, but because it's so important and just for sake of time. But I think we know it's important and we talk about it a lot. Verse 30 of chapter 15. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me. In what, Paul? What are we striving with you in? We're trying to accomplish the mission with you. That's, remember, right before this, that part where we said, I want you guys to send me on my way. I want you to participate in the mission. What are we striving together with you in, Paul? in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints so that I may come to you in the joy and joy by the will of God and find a refreshing rest in your company. Now, the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul uh, says to them, I want you all to be striving in your prayers. Paul was going to do work with, uh, with the, the saints in Jerusalem, which was going to lead into his work of proclaiming the gospel to all nations Strive with me in your prayers, wrestle in your prayers, fight with me. How much are you praying about the mission? You're praying about your health, you're praying about your family, you're praying about the nation, you're praying about your job, you're praying about some temptation. Those are all fine and good. How much are you praying about the mission? Some of the greatest damage that we can do to the enemy in this great war that we're fighting against him is the fight that we do on our knees in our closets. That's where the real war is, to get this gospel out. So uh, I need to be praying for lost people in gospel-deprived places. I should say, I presume, it appears from my eyes, only God knows those who are his. But people in North Korea need the gospel. How's it going to get in there? I don't know. We need to be praying that God would do something, that he'd shake something up. Well, people in places um, like Iran. There's some saints there, but you got to believe there's more that would be hungry for the gospel. We need to be praying for people there. We would be praying for people in war-torn countries. We need to be praying for people in cities that we know where there's fewer or not very many. As far as we know, again, only the Lord knows. Pray fervently. Strive together in your prayers for those gospel-deprived places. Pray for specific friends, neighbors, coworkers who are lost. Do you have people around you who are lost? How often have you prayed for them in the past week? In the past month, what if you just made it your mission that every day for the next 30 days, you're going to pray for every coworker that you've got that's outside of Christ or just pick two or three, pray for them. Um, You pray for people uh, who others are working to lead the Lord. I want to say more about that in just a second. But, you know, there are some who are teaching and preaching. I think about the Bible class our brother Nelson has with coworkers and some of you already participate in that class. You may show up for the Zoom call, but are you praying that more people would be led to the Lord through the proclamation of the story of Jesus? Uh, And we need to pray for preachers, teachers, shepherds, evangelists who have devoted themselves to this work and are doing it on a day-by-day basis. That's actually the whole concept. Paul says, pray for me because I'm struggling out here. It's hard doing this work, and I need you to pray for me. We all need to be praying more about the mission because it's not our strength that's doing it anyways. It's the Lord's. Two more quick things. The rest of chapter 16 he talks about, uh, this is the, the key word of chapter 16, 22 times, I may have miscounted, but it's in that ballpark. You can tell me if I missed it. 22 times, the instruction is given, greet one another, greet one another, greet, 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 greet this person, greet that person. The reason why Paul wanted to greet those people is because he had worked with them in the past and they had somehow found their way to the city of Rome. Paul's mission was not accomplished in isolation. Paul accomplished his mission through cooperation, cooperation. Uh, we need to be cooperators. And I don't mean like, oh, we get along with each other. I mean, really operate together, do things together in accomplishing the mission. Uh, you're good at something. Somebody else is not good at something else. That's perfect. Partner up, man. And you're working together to go visit somebody who's a new, new Christian and needs some encouragement. Or you're going to work together. You know, somebody else is a little, little rough. Some of us are a little more like, this is what it is. Some are a little more like, oh, it's, you know, well, look, y'all work together and go have a Bible class with somebody because those two can kind of work together to make this thing work out. Cooperation is so important. And where that starts, the reason I pointed the greeting thing out, where that starts is greeting one another, engaging with each other, talking with each other, because I don't know how I can help you if I'm not even talking to you. So why not back to what we were saying about that person you really disagree with. Think about something that you don't even know what's going on in their life. You don't know what their work life is like. You don't know what their friend circle is like. We're brethren, and we have a great time. We're here, and we chop it up talking about the Bible or worship together, all that. But I don't know how I could cooperate with them, or how some gift they have could aid me in my efforts in the mission. You get know what I'm saying? We need to greet one another to know what's going on. And by the way, that means more than hey, what's up? I actually say, tell me more about your. Work. I don't even know what you do. What are your coworkers like? Are they like you know all that kind of stuff? needs to be a part of our dialogue if we want to accomplish the mission. Right, i got one more for you. So remember, godly self-sacrifice. That's number one if we want to accomplish the mission. Welcoming one another. Really working on our relationships and differences we may have. Striving in prayer and cooperation. If we want to accomplish the mission, we need at least these things. Here's one more. This is the last one that Paul mentions. And it's really anticlimactic. It's really, uh, you guys know, when you're listening to a teacher for the Word of God, it's better when there's like that, pop wow, this is inspirational ending and all that stuff. This is not that in Paul's letter. Look at verse 17 of Romans, Romans 16. This grand letter that talks about the security we have in Christ and the victory and living lives of sacrifice and love and all that. Here's what he says. Last exhortation, verse 17 of Romans 16. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience is reached to all. Therefore, I'm rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. What's necessary for us to accomplish the mission? Doctrinal integrity. Doctrinal integrity. Don't get the doctrine messed up. Oh, This is why we just have so many Bible studies all the time. This is why we spend so much time in Scripture whenever we're together. This is why we're always talking about reading the Bible personally and getting together in informal groups and such for Bible study. Because if we don't have doctrinal integrity, we're not going to know how to welcome each other. We're not going to have anything to ground ourselves when we're working on things. We're not gonna know how to live a life of godly self-sacrifice because there's no direction from the Lord about how to do that. What are we praying for? I don't know. I guess whatever you feel like praying for if we don't have any direction from the true doctrine of Jesus Christ. That's why we're going through these recent classes on the nature of Christ's church and having some difficult dialogue about that is so that we can work on this and try to nail it down as best we can of what the scriptures actually teach and not go too far in any direction away from that, let's just say what the doctrine teaches. And think about in particular, this recent subject matter that we've been discussing on the nature of Christ church. What if somebody thinks that the nature of Christ church is let's just convince somebody to join a church and do the right churchy stuff, and then you're saved. The mission is ruined. It's ruined because now we're preaching a gospel that's no gospel at all. Or what if someone says, oh, I think we need to, you know, like Christ church, kind of a ill-defined, kind of undefinable kind of thing. And so we just preach the gospel. Let's not really, we can't really call anybody to any kind of response or expect that or lay that out. We're doing, we're messing up the gospel in that direction. You get the point. We've got to have doctrinal integrity, staying grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we don't mess up others' lives, our own lives. Most of all, so we don't mess up the end goal of the mission. Verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now has been revealed by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to the obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ. Be glory forever, Amen. This is why. This is why our mission is to proclaim the gospel. This is why we're going to therefore. Orient our entire lives, not orient, restructure, break down and rebuild every aspect of our lives to live lives of godly self-sacrifice, to be people who welcome one another in the Lord, to be people who strive, fight, wrestle in our prayers for those who are lost and for the mission of the gospel. That we're going to be people who work together, not just lone wolf doing things how I want, but cooperating, working together with those who love God and being people who are serious about doctrine, to have integrity in what's true. Because the whole deal is that all the nations would hear the name of our God, that they would know the power of Jesus Christ, the power of his love in the cross and the power of his resurrection from the dead. And that people would know that there's a destiny that every human being will face. And we got to be ready for that day. And the good news is we can. The good news is, And when we stand before God one day, he won't be the only one in glory. In Romans 5, Paul said that as we go through this life in Christ, we exalt in all our tribulations because we're standing firm in the grace of God and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. I don't think Paul's talking about God's glory there. I mean, God being glorified. That's what he talks about here at the end. But it's our glory. And if you question that, go to Romans 8. Those who God thought about before time ever began, what was the destiny that he had in mind? Those whom he predestined, he called, and those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. That's what we would want for each one of us. That's what we want for every human being that's ever lived. All of us who've been lost in our sin, we don't have to stay there. We can live in the glory of God now and Forever. In Jesus Christ and that's the mission the mission is to speak and live and do everything that God would be glorified and that every person who would receive it could they themselves live in God's glory forever it's true everyone does need compassion the kindness of the true Savior Jesus Christ the hope of nations and he is mighty to say I don't know where you're at right now uh, you may really be struggling you may be completely outside of Christ. You may be in Christ, but you've been slipping and not doing right. You don't have to stay there. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that it's the power to save all who will give their lives to Him.